Well, Father, we want that to be our testimony. It's the intent of our heart and the desire of our hearts to rest in you, to trust in you and not be afraid. Father, we thank you for these times that we've enjoyed this year on Sunday mornings, all year long, every Sunday morning, opening our Bibles, encouraging one another with our presence, with our singing. Lord, just letting the Word of God wash over us, letting the Holy Spirit have His way as He takes the Word of God and impacts us with it, and we'll count on you to do that yet again today as we wrap up this old year and look forward to the new year. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. Well, one of the things that marks the end of the year is sometime right after Thanksgiving when the Christmas cards begin to arrive in the mailboxes or they begin to announce about the mail slots at church and you put your Christmas cards out and Janet and I really enjoy that. We enjoy so much receiving all of the Christmas cards and the Christmas letters and the family pictures and um, often she'll have them and leave them on the counter to make sure I see them before she stows them this year in a big cookie tin kind of pail on the counter there where all the Christmas cards go. And, and I'll sit on the island there when I get home and, or sit on a stool at the island there and I'll look at the Christmas cards and letters. And the other day, I opened up Deb Hellman's. And I always enjoy reading everyone's letters and looking at the pictures. <clears throat> when you get a letter from Deb Hellman... It's all about five grandbaby girls, I'll tell you. Um, <clears throat> they have two sons. Uh, one has three. That's Tim and Sarah here with us. The other, Chris, has two. They're all little girls, the grandbabies. And so Deb, of course, a great, she's a wonderful grandmother, and she's writing all about her children. I, I just, with great interest, observed the pictures and was looking. I'm, I know their younger son, Chris, who lives out of the area, and I noticed that she commented that he ran a 50K, 31 mile race this year and I paused for a moment and and asked myself why anybody would ever do that and and then I was noting that there's a picture of them in Hawaii you can see the palm trees and the the flowered lei around their necks and and I read this paragraph Deb wrote last April we spent three weeks on a wonderful 40th anniversary trip to three Hawaiian islands with close friends Bill and Linda. But then she wrote, Sadly, a month after that trip, Bill unexpectedly passed away. Bill was Rich's college roommate down at NC State, the Wolfpack. And they had done vacations and had a friendship all of these years, over 40, over 40 years. Deb went on to write, none of us knew how little time he had left on earth, but thankfully Bill was ready to meet his Savior. Isn't that a good testimony? Well, I got done reading the note, and I had been thinking and preparing my heart for our year-end message, and I thought to myself, that fits so well with what's on my heart to share from Psalm 90, and I invite you to turn to Psalm 90 as our text today, the 90th Psalm. I just thought that line was interesting, what she wrote about Bill. None of us knew how little time he had left on earth. As we conclude uh, the final Sunday of the year, one of the things that's going to happen in less than 48 hours is the calendar's going to click, 
and the year is going to conclude 2018 will be in the books and it will be 2019. Now I know that you could logically say that every day you live finishes another year, right? I mean, you're a year out from, the, from that day a year before, but the way we mark time, uh, we recognize it's the end of the year and we celebrate the incoming of the new year. And so 2018 is done, a year is over, and I thought it would be very good for us, even in somewhat of a devotional message this morning to receive a word of exhortation from a psalm, Psalm 90, written by Moses, and to conclude our time today with a time of examination and uh, just being careful to consider how have we lived the last year? Do we recognize what a wonderful gift a year is? Are we living with an awareness of the uncertainty of life? And are we using that not to discourage or to defeat us or to scare us even, but to motivate us that we would be the church that God wants us to be, that we would be the families and the individuals that God would have us to be? You know, you only get so many years. And that's what Moses, the psalmist, is talking about. Now, you're used to us saying, David the psalmist or Asaph the psalmist. Asaph was a musician in the temple. When we open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, we're opening to a song book. Most of you are aware of that. And it doesn't have the music there. It just has the words. And so these are songs. And so I take it that Moses knew a tune that he used to sing to these words. You'll even notice as he wraps it up that much like other psalmists, they'll repeat the line. They'll have a repeating refrain. And we do that in our music. We'll refreat, we will repeat a refrain or a repeating line because it was sung to music. The tunes are lost. The words are preserved for all of eternity under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note, too, that this psalm written by Moses likely reflects some of the details that he wrote about way back in Genesis. Remember that Moses is responsible, uh, it's believed that Moses compiled and wrote most of the Pentateuch. He didn't write all of it, but he at least compiled it and wrote most of it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Well, he also wrote some Psalms, and Psalm 90 is a Psalm of Moses. And so because it's written by Moses, we also know that it's if it's not the oldest Psalm, it's one of the oldest Psalms that we would have. And it is probably the oldest Psalm that we have in the book of Psalms because Moses lived way before David and Asaph and the other writers of the Psalms. And so what I would like to do, though we're going to focus on just a couple of sentences out of Psalm 90, largely verse 10, we're going to reflect briefly on verse 12. I want us to take a minute and just read all of this Psalm as, a, as our reading of God's word in our service today. Psalm 90, beginning with verse 1, you'll also note maybe in your Bible that it might say this is book 4 of the Psalms. The Psalms are divided into sections, and this book 4 section is about our everlasting God, and Moses references that. Notice, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth. See a reference to Genesis 1 and 2. And before you had ever formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Moses is lifting up the greatness of God. He's talking about the eternality of God. He's talking about how God is sovereign over everything. You return man to dust. 
Maybe a reference to Adam, dust. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And you say, return, O children of man. So from dust you, are, you came, and to dust you'll return at the end of your life. For a thousand years in your sight are but a yesterday when it was past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. Maybe a reference to Genesis chapter 6 and, the, and Noah's flood. They are like a dream, <clears throat> like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening the grass fades and withers under the heat of the day. For we, people... Humankind are brought to an end by your anger. Uh Uh-oh, God is angry. He's talking about the greatness of God. And you're from everlasting to everlasting, and you're... But man is puny, and man is problematic. He says, But we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities. There's the problem. Man is sinful, and God cannot look at sin, and God has to deal with sin. And you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. It's as though it's on a big movie screen, right in the middle of your presence. The, the, the deepest, quietest, secretest sins of our minds and our hearts are exposed. And he, talk, he goes on to say, For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. And we're done. See, sin brings forth death. God has to deal with sin. God can't look at sin. And he's a great God. And he's, he's even outside of time. Man lives within time. God will live forever. He's from everlasting to everlasting. But man is just a sigh. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Are we even paying attention to you, Moses says? So teach us to number our days in your presence, is what he's saying. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There is a way to live with wisdom. Oh, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. May the next generation even follow you. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. There he repeats the refrain. And so, Lord, in this momentary life, in this almost meaningless life, would you allow the works of my hands to amount to something? Oh, please establish the work of our hands. That is, may I do the things in this lifetime that I have that are meaningful and are lasting. What an interesting psalm, and we can't help but read it in not see that there is a bit of exhortation here and following that exhortation or confrontation of our thinking, we need to remind ourselves that it's a good day for evaluation this final Sunday of the year. And that's why we'll be concluding our service today with communion. We will hold a piece of bread and a cup in our hands and we'll remind ourselves of our Lord Jesus and how he took our sin to the cross on our behalf, and we will examine our hearts as we conclude the year. Well, let's begin with a word of exhortation. We're focused on verse 10, and notice what he says. 
He says the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, and they are soon gone, he says, and they fly away. Well, Moses lived to be about 120, um, but he was observing that there was a trajectory concerning lifespan that settled in. Remember, early in Genesis, we have uh, the pre-Diluvian and and then post-flood, people lived a long time, but before the flood, people lived a long, long time. And Methuselah, the oldest, 960-some years. But that's not what we observe, is it? What we observe is that sin has taken its toll, that we're relatively weak, and we can only live, Moses says, about 70-some years and maybe 80-some if you're extra strong. And so I thought it would be a good thing for us to test whether Moses is right, and we'll test it with the Martinsburg Journal this morning. Um, since Mamaw moved in with us, we've been getting the Martinsburg Journal, and, and so I've pulled a couple random Martinsburg Journal, Section B, where the obituary is. I don't want you to think that this message is morbid at all. It's motivating. But let's go to the obituary this morning. Um, Moses says that you can expect to live 70, maybe 80 some years. So I was looking at the um, obituary and I picked one up at random and this one was Sunday, December 23rd. And I opened it up and I, I turned to the obituaries and I see that this day there were only three names in the obituary. And uh, Martha lived to be 81, James lived to be 82, and Donna Uh, passed away at 56. Now, normally what I think is best to do when you have a sample group and a test is you drop the oldest and the youngest ages and then you you deal with the rest of the ages. But if you'll allow me, let's just, since there's such a small sampling here, let's go with all three. We add up the ages. It comes out to 218. We divide by three, and lo and behold, the average age in this paper's obituary was 72.6 years old. Hmm. Moses says 70 years already. So I thought, well, maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe the Bible doesn't really know what it's talking about. Maybe we should check it again with the Martinsburg Journal, which is very reliable information. (laughs) And we open our paper, and bingo, I hit an obituary on Thursday, December 27th. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. And in fact, um, they frustrated me a little bit for my exercise. There were one, two, three... There were three that didn't give their birth date or their, they didn't give their birth date. They only gave their death date. And so I don't know how old they were. So I threw them out and um, we still have, um, the youngest was David at age 55. So I threw him out too. And the oldest was Luther. He was 93. So I threw him out of our test group. And so we add up the rest. We have Harold at 82. We have uh, Elizabeth at 67, Wayne at 69, Floyd at 83, Harold at 87. And then there was a little article right there with the obituaries of a high-ranking Iranian cleric who died at age 70. I don't know his name. I threw him in there. I can't pronounce his name. So I threw him in there. And then there was another article right next to it of Siggy Schmid, the winningest MLS coach, dies, and he died at age 65. So I threw him in our test group. So that gives us eight people. Remember, we threw out the youngest at 55. We threw out the oldest at 93. That leaves eight people, uh, eight 
of those ages that I referenced added up comes to 611 divided by 8, and we're at 76.3. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So I have to tell you that when I read that Moses said we only have 70 or 80 years, letter A in our notes, I find that that's very disappointing. I'm only 12 years out of the red zone. It's not long enough. I mean, I got people to see and places to go and projects to build. I poured footers for a barn 18 years ago. I'm going to build that barn, maybe. I have a container full of used lumber so I can build my barn. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, when you look at this and you see 70 or 80 years and, and you recognize how how quickly the sands of time move through the hourglass. I just find it disappointing. But it's reality, isn't it? Secondly, I want you to see that this provides a very clear warning to us. Not only is it disappointing to recognize the brevity of life, but that brevity of life is, a, is very much a warning. This speaks, number one, to that very thing, the brevity of life. Our years are 70 or 80, and they soon are gone. They soon are gone. They fly away. Isn't that interesting? When you're young, you think like people like me, and you say, oh, I want to tell you, PV, every day goes by so quickly. I just, I don't know where my days go. They go so fast. The older you get, the faster the days go. And we know it's a manner of speaking because everybody gets the same amount of ticks on the clock every day. And every time the clock ticks, it never comes back again. It's a forward clicking talk, a forward ticking clock. And so we're reminded of the brevity of life, but this is reinforced in Scripture as well. Some of the more familiar verses that address the brevity of life are like Job chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, where Job says there, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. I'm not 100% sure about weaver's shuttles, but they take thread and they're a mechanism and a framework and... And they're taking thread and they're, it's a mechanized way to take the thread and, and weave it together into fabric. And the, the loom and everything goes by, taking the threads. And Job says, that's my days. That's my days. In Job 14.1, he said, man who is born of woman is of few days, he said. We're of few days. You know how long you're going to live? This is biblical. Here's how long you're going to live. Just a few days. Just a few days. That's all you're going to live. You're not thinking this is a morbid sermon yet, are you, yet? <laughs> James 4.14 says, For you are a mist. You are a mist. The psalmist said at the end of verse 10, Moses said, Like a sigh. <sighs> James says it's like a mist. The sun comes up and melts it and it's gone. It's like a vapor. It's, and it's just gone. And it's gone. And so we recognize the brevity of life and it's very convicting to us. Not only that, Moses goes on to remind us of the difficulty of life. The difficulty of life. Look what he says. He says, the years of our life are 70 or by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. Now that's good news, isn't it? 
Now, how does that match up with the rest of Scripture? Well, let's go to Job again. Job, speaking with wisdom, he said uh, in Job 14.1, we started that verse up above, man who is born of woman is of few days, let's finish it, Job 14.1, and full of trouble. So not only a few days, but full of trouble. So here's the thing. Almost all of us want to live a long time. We think we're going to live a long time, and we all want an easy life, and neither are true of living in this earth, this side of the sun. Life is short, and life is difficult. I have a saying with Janet. I said, you know what the motto of my life is? I say to Janet, the motto of my life is two words, always something. <laughs> that's, that's my life, always something. I get in my truck yesterday morning, and I crank the key, and the battery's dead. And I you got to be kidding me. I don't have time to mess with this. And then I get a fo- call from my favorite brother-in-law, of course, and he says, hey, the oil tank is empty at Mamaw's house. Would you go over there and see if you can get it going again? Sure, I'll do that. I don't have time, but I'll do it. And I go over, and of course, the oil got delivered, but... I can't get the furnace primed, and so then I wait three and a half hours for the furnace man to come, and he has to replace the fuel pump. Always something. So what is it about us that, that we struggle to embrace the reality of life, and that is that the clock is ticking and that life is difficult? And I'm not saying this, that it would turn us into caustic, hard-hearted people. It is the reality of our lives that life is brief. Life is difficult. So therefore, it really must matter how I live every day. Now notice he has one other reminder here that I think comes through in this verse. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone and fly away. We've emphasized that. I think that that's a reminder, number three, of the certainty of death. The certainty of death. Hebrews 9.27 says that we have an appointment with death. That it is appointed unto man to die once, and that after this comes the judgment. Psalm 139 says that every day we're going to ever live is written down in God's book before any one of them ever come to be. Listen, you've only got so many days. You've only got so many years. That's all you have. So as we flip the calendar, we need to recognize every day matters. Every year matters. And I recognize that some of you are in your 70s or 80s here this morning. You know, there's a word of hope. It's not to be discouraging or defeating. It's the reality is that you had better be ready. We don't know what the next year is going to hold. And this is all you get. It's the way of the earth. Stop imagining that you're going to live forever. You see, people love to live, try to add to their lives. I read an article in the Martinsburg Journal, by the way, um, <laughs> about how to add years to your life. Here's what they said. They said, you need to keep the weight off, and you need to exercise, and you need to not smoke. And they said, they they wouldn't say not drink, which is what I would say, but they said, and there's only a certain amount of recommended alcohol consumption. After that, every glass of wine, the article said, and every can of beer you drink will take 30 minutes off your life. I was like, I don't know anybody that believes that who drinks. No 
nobody believes that. Because here's what they do. I saw another article in the Martinsburg Journal that said there was a 112-year-old guy that died, and he attributed, or maybe it was 104, I can't remember, and he said the, the reason he lived so long was smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. So <laughs> there you go. It's like, for the young people in the audience, none of this is recommended. And your pastor is a teetotaler, and I think that's what you ought to be too. So what we do what? We try to live longer. But you can't. Do the math. The average comes out in the 70s. Once in a while in the obituaries, it'll top 80. Once in a while, it hits 69. But there's a word of hope today. Do you know that um, though we are facing a day when our heart beats will stop and our respirations will wane and then they will be gone that you will step into eternity. You don't stop living. The, the shell of this body dies, but you live forever somewhere. And it takes me to a cemetery. It takes me to a cemetery where our Lord was outside of Bethany. And there he was at his dear buddy Lazarus' graveside. And the two sisters of Lazarus, they were really wound up. They were not happy with Jesus because he had delayed his coming and they got after him about that, and Jesus looked at Martha in John eleven twenty five, and he said, Martha, he said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What kind of doublespeak is that? Now, the point is, you can do nothing about your physical body dying and because of sin that Moses talked about, we have disease and we have illness and we have troubles. And so we have 55-year-olds who die and 13-year-olds who die and 21-year-olds like my brother. And it happens. Where sin is, there is death and disease. And until the Lord rebuilds this world that's the way it's going to be it's in the meantime though we have our faith and trust in jesus christ as the resurrection and the life and we can have freedom spiritually speaking from our sin so that god the judge of the universe looks at us and he'll say welcome to my heaven and so like paul said in philippians chapter one for me to live is christ but to die he says would be gain who thinks like that Believers in the Lord Christ, that's who thinks like that. People who read the Psalms, people who believe Moses, people who read the Martinsburg Journal, you know you can't live very long. It's going to be gone like a sigh, like a vapor, swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And so your faith and trust is in the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he took his, our sin upon himself 2,000 years ago plus but it's only good for you if you look to Jesus and live. You put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ and you become a child of God. Your sin is forgiven. Eternity in heaven is promised. You're a child of God. You're part of the family of God. You're his church. You're born again. And you do that by admitting your sinfulness and believing that Jesus is the Christ and you enter what the Bible calls newness of life. And that is an everlasting life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. 
And so this year, if you have my funeral or your funeral, for believers in the Lord Christ, there is that momentary grief. But it is, as Paul said in Philippians 1, the reality is that that individual is better off by far, he said. Better off by far, in the NIV it says. Because why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and I don't have to live in fear. And the sting of death has been removed, and the fear of death has been pushed aside. And so as a believer in the Lord Christ, if I'm in my 70s or my 80s, you should not live in fear. You should have confidence in the promises of the Word of God, and your hope is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And you say, PV, I'm in the red zone. I'm in the red zone. I'm in the 70s and 80s. I'm in, and I'm beyond even. It's okay. It's the way of the earth. It's all men. You can't do anything about it. Don't let it get you down. In fact, the rest of the church should be a little bit, a little bit envious that you get to leave this problematic world. I think about guys like Officer Tucker out there and others and the garbage you put up with every day on the streets and on the job. And what some of you are doing in your homes and what's going on in our neighborhoods. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. All right? And, and you have your eyes on Jesus and the fear of death is minimal. And the hope of eternal life with Christ is real. Praise God. Praise God. So, the certainty of death, uh, we need to move on. We're, we're receiving a word of exhortation from Psalm 90 here, and we're realizing that it's pretty disappointing that life is so short. There's a very clear warning here, the brevity of life, the difficulty of life, the certainty of death, but let's allow this to be motivating to us as well. Look at, just go right to verse 12. So teach us, Moses said to God, he's talking to God, so teach us, Psalm 90, 12, to number our days. And that means, I think, more than just saying one, two, three, four, counting days. Teach us to recognize that there is a, a, a qualification of my days, I only get so many days. I only get so many years. Help me to be kind of living with an awareness of the ticking of the clock so that I know that my days are waning. What am I doing here with my time? And then I say to the Lord, Lord, teach me to value every day. Look what he says. Verse 12, so teach us, parentheses, Lord, to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. There is a way to live with wisdom. Lord, teach me the value of every day. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to live each day. So it seems to me, under this exhortation and motivation, that if the clock is ticking, and it is, it's ticking, and they don't come back, it's a forward ticking clock. And you only get so many years, and then they're gone. And, and then that we ought to pay attention to what we're doing today. It seems to me this is a good reason not to play video games, for example. This is a really good reason not to waste my life. I'm not saying don't go on vacation. I'm not saying don't play golf. I'm not saying don't do your hobbies. I'm saying we live with intention 
We live with awareness. Oh, the Apostle Paul said, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. So yes, we do many things. And um, we don't use this, by the way, to renege on our duties. So you could say, life's too short, I'm not going to mow my lawn. Somehow the Lord knew that we have these routine tasks that seem like a waste of time. It's why Paul said, do it all to the glory of God, even. My point is that because of the brevity of life and because of the sigh, the vapor reality, that we should live with intention, that we should have a sense of wisdom and purpose about our days. And so that leads us into examination, doesn't it? It leads us to examination. As I was reviewing my notes this morning, I I looked over at the wall-mounted air conditioning duct return of my filter. (laughs) And I thought to myself, hmm, that's efficient. (laughs) As we enter a time of examination, I think we're using the last Sunday of the year for a reason. It's because... Why move into a new season with a clogged up filter? Why not be careful to get rid of the dirt? But you know what our problem is? We've got parts of this, like, like right there. I really like that part right there. I don't want to get rid of that. Are you kidding me? I got stuff I like. I got, I got garbage clogging the filter of my life that's really important to me. What's wrong with us? You only get so many ticks of the clock. You only get so many days in a week. You only get so many weeks in a year. You only get so many years in a life. And you're going to leave the filter clogged? God forbid. And so it's a time of examination. It's a time to say, Lord, as we close out the year and we mark time and we check off the fact that we're one year closer to the red zone, would you help me to examine my life? How about my passions and my priorities my passions and my priorities. You see, if there's limited time, then maybe the things I really care about and maybe the things I'm really giving priority to ought to shift a little bit in light of the fact that you can't do everything because life is too short. Secondly, how about the discipline of my appetites and the discipline of my use of my time, the discipline of appetites and time? Why am I like a cork floating down the river allowing my appetites to drive me through life Why am I allowing time to just flitter away from me? Why am I not more intentional in controlling my appetites, in my use of my time? How about the hardness and hidden things in my heart? Why would I knowingly have a hard heart? Why would I knowingly have hidden sin in my heart and on purpose carry it into the next year? I don't think we should. I I think it's a time... Of examination. How about my view of eternity and living for the next life? You only have so long to lay up treasure in heaven. You only have so long to do the things that God has put on your heart to do. You only have so long to influence the next generation for Christ. And if this life is a vapor, and if this life is a dash, a sigh, then maybe I need to change my view of how much I love this life. And start loving the next life more. My whole view of eternity. How about the owning of actions? The owning of my actions. The owning of my words. And the restoration of relationships. Why? Why would I have broken relationships? And take them into the next year. 
Why drag that garbage across the threshold of a new year? Why take a beautiful, clean calendar and mark it up with the garbage of last year? Own up. Take responsibility. Your actions, your words, your responsibilities. No, but Pastor Van, you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did. I know, I know. But you can't deal with them. You can only deal with you and your heart and own up to your actions, your words, your relationships. How about having a confident and quiet heart about the uncertainty of life? Maybe it bothers you to realize, I don't don't like this. Well, embrace it. And then embrace your relationship with Christ and remove the uncertainty of this life. Count on the promises of his word. Put aside fear. And so we continue to examine our hearts. And I left the blank there for you to fill in. What is it that you need to deal with? What is it that you need to to take care of before the calendar flips? Life is short. You only have so many days. You only get so many years. What are you doing with your time? Man, we ought to be loving our families, right? We ought to be accomplishing the things that God has called us to do. And I know it's hard sometimes to discern those things. But don't waste your life. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us to conclude our sermon, our sermon time today and this challenge with a continued personal evaluation and examination. You know, that's what the Apostle Paul instructed the church at Corinth about. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, and we're not really having the Lord's Supper here, we're having uh, symbolic elements here. We're having a, a small, tiny piece of unleavened cracker bread, and we're having a small cup of juice. Um, in Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote them because he was so concerned about what a mess they were. They were selfish, they were arrogant, they were hateful, they were drunken at the Lord's Supper. He said, knock it off. And in fact, he said, you're not even taking seriously the reality of the Lord's death. You're you're just goofing around with Jesus' name. And he told them this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then there it is. During communion, let a person examine himself then, he says, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. Your mind and heart must be engaged. That is why many of you, he says, are weak and ill and some have died. That's incredible. He says of the Corinthian believers that the very negligence and the way you have wasted your opportunities of examining yourself appropriately and disregarding Christ even as you take communion causes some of you to get sick and God has even taken some of your lives because of this. That's how serious it is that Christ be the center of the church, that Christ be the center of our lives. And I have to tell you, I know of no reason why that doesn't still happen today. I would assume that it does at some level. It never, this is New Testament. It's us. It's who, this is who we are. And so it's a very serious matter. And, and so we reflect upon the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ, the wonderful blood of Christ that covers us from 
all sin and we examine ourselves here as we close out the year. All believers in the Lord Christ are welcome to partake. We're going to have a small piece of bread that we're going to hold. And I encourage you to just bow your head and to examine your hearts and take care of any of the old lint that's in the filter, the garbage that's in the filter. This is time to clean the filter now. Get it out of there. Get ready for the new year with great intent because life is so brief. It won't be long. We'll be in his presence together. So the men will come and the instruments will play and we will reflect upon the cross and upon the things that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of.
You know the setting. It was the night that he was betrayed. It was the Passover. The room had been prepared, that upper room, and it was the last Passover with his disciples that our Lord gathered there at the table. It was the weekend of his crucifixion. And there he did something for us, for his church. He took bread and he broke it and he equated it to himself. He said that night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, our Lord broke the bread and then he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together in remembrance of his substitutionary death on our behalf.
It was in the same way that he had taken the bread then that after the supper, our Lord held up a cup. And there before his disciples, he took the cup after the supper saying, then this cup is the New Testament in my blood. There's a new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul added a footnote and he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us partake together in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? And let's conclude with a word of prayer. And so, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder from Moses that our lives are brief, but that we can turn to you and you can teach us how to number our days and you can teach us how to live with wisdom. Thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ whose blood means so much to us, the covering, the the, the washing away of our sin through his blood and how he took our place on the cross and by grace through faith we can look to him and live and have everlasting life. Father, encourage our hearts as we go. We thank you so much for your faithfulness of the past year. You've been good to us. You've met our needs. And great is your faithfulness. As we look forward, we'll count on that faithfulness to continue We'll count on your grace and your mercy to sustain us and your love that we would be the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we ask these things, going with your blessing. Amen.